0: Since introducing our group's cyber insurance policy, LawCover has gained unique insights into what makes a legal practice vulnerable to cyber attack. I'm Malcolm Heath, Practice Risk Manager at LawCover, and in this program, I speak to Jack Boyd, Solicitor at Colin Biggers and Paisley, as we reflect on three years of cyber claims against solicitors, what has been learned, and what the best defence is for your practice. Jack, thanks so much for coming in today, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much, Malcolm. Excited to be here.
0: Well, Jack, I think if we come back to why Law Cover actually got into a group cyber insurance policy, I'll just highlight that uh, back in 2017, towards the end of that financial year, we received the first uh, claim that came against the professional indemnity insurance policy that was a um, breach of trust and that was a cyber incident and it uh, created quite a bit of concern as to where cyber incidences, cyber threats are going and how they're going to impact law firms. Law cover executive and the board then got together to form a and uh, develop the group policy, a um, cyber group policy, which you, you know very well. Yes, very well. And um, to help cover uh, broader than the professional indemnity insurance policy to help provide cover that may um, interrupt the business of the law practices. And um, of course, the The key uh, components of that coverage is that uh, it looks at the risks of the law practices and subject to its policy terms that covers provided for crisis management costs and customer notification expenses regarding cyber incidences, electronic business interruption, and the increased cost of working as a result of the cyber incident. Um, It covers cyber liability to third parties to the extent these are not covered under other relevant policies and also covers uh, private privacy, regulatory, defence and penalties. And um, if it needs be, then at the worst case scenario, they will provide cover for cyber extortion payments consented to by the insurer. So the policy, it's a foundational level policy of $50,000 in cover. It's designed uh, to create awareness and was designed to create awareness for all law firms, the 6,500 insured uh, by law cover to Say, look, here is a base layer of cover. please review it. Is this relevant to your practice? Is it sufficient for your practice? If you're a large practice, you may well need far more than that uh, foundational cover and to you know really create the awareness that this is an issue and it looks like it is not going away so um if we could take it from that, can I just ask you to give your comments because you're on the cyber crisis risk team at Biggers and Paisley. You've been handling these claims now for a number of years and uh, the expertise that you have is uh, first class. So if I could uh, draw it to you and just ask for your comments and uh, reflections.
1: Yes, thank you for that. Uh, I think it really is, as a group policy, it's a really innovative step for the industry. We've seen cyber crime massively increase over the past few years and it's only going up more and more. There was a gap in traditional insurance policies that didn't quite cover off. It didn't fall in professional indemnity. It didn't fall into management liability unless a claim was coming up. But people were getting hit by these attacks and there was a cost. So the evolution of cyber policies in the market has been an important one and the group policy addresses that. Um, the, the, The main insuring clauses, and I think the one that gets to the heart of the policy, is cover for cyber costs and expenses, which is yeah. basically the cost of investigating and if substantiating that a breach has occurred, then remediating the network. That's the biggest out-of-pocket cost.
0: That's very that, interesting.
1: That somebody will face in this process. You cover for privacy expenses is also something that's becoming more and more relevant. If there's a breach to your system, you may have obligations under the Notifiable Data Breaches Scheme contained in the Privacy Act. You could have breaches of your own... Um, privacy policy that you have depending on the size of your firm. And that's something that the policy provides cover for. And we as the cyber response team also have the expertise to connect you with privacy lawyers um, who can analyse that and say, do you owe an obligation? If so, how do we fix this?
0: So Jack, can you just explain that, um, say, if there is a cyber incident, how that could actually evolve into, say, a privacy breach? Because I'm sure some people will think, well, I've had a cyber incident, that's it.
1: Yeah, so this this actually comes into play with the most frequent form of attack that we see on law practices, which we we refer to as a business email compromise attack or a BEC attack. So BEC attacks fall into two primary baskets, a payment redirection fraud, which is the largest concern to a practice uh, in terms of the impact it may have on its clients or the practice itself, but it's of equal impact to the other form that we see uh, in terms of a mass distribution of emails as far as the policy response from the cyber policy is concerned because both of these ta- attacks are premised on a breach of your email systems or a breach of your computer network. If your computer network is breached, emails go out to people. There's there's a There has to have been some form or degree of access and control by the hackers. And if they have that access and control, they may have got sensitive personal information or confidential business information that they could then leverage in another attack or they might not even know that they've had it but there's the risk that they could do that. It's identity theft, that's business transactions. There's, there's an array of ways this information can be misappropriated. So whilst the primary concern might be I've received an email asking me to pay money, I didn't pay the money, my computer's now safe... Well, somebody was in your system to find out that that transaction was going on. They're in your system to find out that Joe Bloggs was due to transfer $50,000. They might have seen uh, identity documents that could be used to misappropriate. So a larger thing that we're looking at now is saying, if you were in there and you had that degree of control, does that run afoul of privacy regulations? And do you have an obligation to report it? Uh, If you do report it, are you exposed to potential fines, or do you have to remediate a certain way? So we, we we look at the attack first and foremost, try yep. and fix that. Mm-hmm. Then we pivot to
0: privacy. And it's quite insidious, isn't it, to think that the breach, which is akin to the invisible burglar, um, if you like, from a physical sense, the invisible burglar hovering around an office mm-hmm. and going through files at particular times, nobody is aware to this and they can look at the details, correspondence, learn information, access confidential information, uh, private information whilst learning and and, um, seeing a process and then tapping into perhaps a a transaction, a financial transaction.
1: Exactly. And we're seeing these um, social engineering techniques become more and more advanced. So the the primary vector of the attack hasn't changed. It's getting into your email system. But it's once they're in your email system, it's no longer just sending an email that may appear to not mimic tone um, or a standard conversation. It might even be in broken or translated English and say, send money to this account, that's what a tax looked like a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Now we have people inside the system and they they sit back and they watch and they say, okay, so the process for a transfer at law practice ABC is that a transfer instruction is sent from a partner to the accounts team or sometimes it might come from a solicitor saying, with the partner's approval, please process this transfer. They work out that that's the way that this um, the, the payment systems are followed and so they know I can step in here and say the partner starts his emails off, hey, how are you doing? So mm-hmm. they start their email, hey, how are you doing? Recent matter that they've read about in your inbox, it's due for settlement soon, I need you to request that they transfer $200,000 to this account or we have to disperse this money as uh, at the at the end of a, a transaction. Uh, it looks like the partner, it mm-hmm. sounds like the partner, it for all intents and purposes could be the partner and it's been a hacker the whole time. They're just getting better
0: at mimicking that tone so and it's f- indistinguishable. And it's from the partner's email. As yep. you're saying, the language is replicated, uh, the hey or the hi and then the sign-off. It could be instead of Michael, Mike, whatever language is normally used uh, which conveys a-, a sense of confidence And particularly, I can understand internally, because many people tend to think that the cyber attack comes externally. And as you've pointed out, it does through that breach of email. So that's the external contact, but then it can be internal manipulation through emails. So for example, um, how would that happen if, say, there was the uh, criminal within the system, the hackers in the system, sending an email on behalf of a partner um, to accounts to authorise payment? Surely the partner could then see in, in the say, the sent items, that email. Yeah, so one of the um, main
1: indicators of compromise to your email systems that we see is through um, suspicious rules contained in your Outlook system. So you can put a rule in place that says search for keywords and if it says transfer or if it's even a matter number, and it's a reference to the transaction that was coming up and you know that you're going to get an email from Jim and it's going to have the word transfer in it, They, the hacker's put in place some rules inside your Outlook that says any time those keywords come through, I automatically forward that email off to a secondary account that the hacker is seeing, then I delete it or I file it in some obscure um, subfolder that so you don't even know that it's been in your account it doesn't appear in your sent it's not necessarily in your trash it's filed depth in the in in the depths of your email system you're none the wiser that it's even in there or that you've potentially sent it
0: very cunning isn't it it really is uh, quite insidious in that sense that uh, untraceable evidence if you like of, of that electronic trail in those circumstances so what could be a method of um reducing that risk? So
1: the the biggest risk, uh, the, the easiest way to avoid particularly payments um, is putting in place a very tried and tested method of picking up the phone. So we we highly recommend that nobody process transfer instructions uh, until they've a c- confirmed account details over the phone. And with a phone number that you you know is a genuine one, one that you've used previously. So that's that's kind of on the payment redirection side. But In terms of making sure that your system is protected and you've got the internal protections, making sure that you're keeping your system and your IT security provider up to date, checking that patching and uh, software patches have occurred, and multi-factor authentication as well. So a lot of the way that these attacks occur is by people being prompted through phishing emails or otherwise to enter their account details. It might look like it's a genuine um, box prompting you to do it, you put it in, that information gets sent off to the hacker, they've got that, they then use it to leverage the attack. It might not be immediately, they might get in and not necessarily uh, commit the fraud immediately, but multi-factor authentication will help cut that off because it's easy for that hacker to to trick you once with an email out of the thousands you get. It's very hard for them to get their hand into your pocket to get that uh, verification code that's sent through to your mobile. So if there is a suspicious login, multi-factor authentication can cut down that
0: risk enormously. Yeah, look, that that is um, so vital. And the other um, trick that we see that um, some solicitors fall into the trap of is uh, the alleged secure document coming in from the new client or even the existing client, and um, they're asked to enter their own computer username and password into that third party's document. Uh, It's akin to writing in your account number and your PIN from your bank details in, into that um, side, it still happens. I'm, I'm quite amazed. It still does. I understand the the pressures in practice, the haste, um, but that thinking that I only ever should use my username and password, only ever, ever, ever in my own computer system, should be embedded and locked in. It's like handing over the front door key to a stranger and giving them the address as well. So. It's really a behavioural change, isn't it, that, that has to almost cease now.
1: It's it's a bit of situational awareness. So it's going, if, you, if you're if you aware that these sort of attacks are out there and they happen to people, everyone has this expectation. It's going to happen to somebody else. Hmm. It doesn't happen to me. Um, look, I, I can tell you insurers sometimes wish it was that way, but it does happen <laughs> to people. That's That's why we get this insurance and that's why we're seeing this consistent spike in attacks is because people have thought, okay, I've got this email, it, it seems a bit unusual. It might be saying, I've got an invoice. I don't get invoices sent to me. Why have I received this email? Curiosity, you click on it and it says, enter your password. Or I get a prompt a couple of times a week saying, oh, well, your Outlook's got to connect back to the server. You put that in. How was I to know that this one wasn't a genuine one and this one was? But having that awareness and knowing you shouldn't be entering your account details, particularly if it's after you've received a suspicious link. Um, not opening documents that you haven't, uh, you're not, you weren't anticipating that they'd come um, in if they're from a new person, or if it's somebody that you already know. Picking up the phone to say, "Hey, this is an unexpected email. I just got it from you. Did you send it? What's it for?" Those thirty second conversations can avoid a lot of difficulty for for you, your practice, your colleagues, because sometimes it isn't. Um, sometimes it might be that vector trying to get in there and get access to your email systems, sometimes it might be malware that's going to get in there and corrupt your system. So having a bit of that awareness is the number one way to um, prevent these attacks from occurring.
0: And... Could I ask, with small firms, of which there are many in New South Wales, there are you know, some 87% of all law firms are um, sole owner law practices, and um, another 11% are two to four partner or solicitor director practices. So they're an astonishingly large percentage of small business law practices. Do you see there's as um, a need to really uplift our approach with our IT knowledge, but also ensuring that we do have good IT providers, consultants, on hand to support our practice, more so today than it was perhaps five years ago? Very much so. And there's obviously going
1: to be business pressures for practices of all sizes, but I think as somebody who sees these claims coming in regularly, these attacks going through, people not necessarily having their systems up to even a base level um, of, of protection, if we start thinking about cyber protection as being core to your business as a lock on your front door is Um, and somebody breaks in rustles through your papers you run the exact same risk as somebody who gets in through an email but people seem to be a bit more conscious about the that physical threat and it's like as the numbers are borne out you are far more at risk of being ripped off through a cyber crime than you are somebody kicking down your front door and you should address that risk appropriately this is only going to get more become more of a threat into the future have good IT consultants ensure regular software patching works have that relationship to make sure that you know you you are protected you can never completely avoid these risks but you can slash the the risk of these attacks occurring massively by putting putting in place some of those steps we just discussed
0: yeah that 's fascinating as you say you know the the likely increase of this happening if we don 't all in, improve our defenses as we did on a physical sense with um, premises with better locks and securities and then we moved into cameras uh, there's you know there's high range of security if you look at say server rooms in larger law firms for example, and it may have electronic pads and everything like that secured time censored what 's fascinating though I think is that you look at where the weak links are in any chain and that's where the criminals will target it. And uh, if you look at vulnerabilities, you may have a secure area uh, with that type of drawing, but if you've got a chip rock wall beside it that you can kick through, that's the weak link and that will be targeted and it seems to be now shifted into email in particular. And our failures generally in our human behaviour to click on that link too hastily, um, except with too much confidence, it's almost like we were... Perhaps once too trusting of the visitor coming into the office and welcoming and uh, and in time we came a little bit more suspicious to ensure that that visitor was appropriate to come into the law firm 's offices and um, there was a, a an established meeting set up, and the person be kept at the reception rather than being allowed to go through the office so um, it is a change, and uh, we, we probably would need to accelerate that uh, those learnings faster now because we are seeing an increase in claims in cyber incidences on the professional indemnity insurance policy under uh, particularly breaches of trust and as we're seeing under the group cyber policy as well. And um, it's, a con- it's concerning to see the escalation in claims and the trend is there now um, year on year, an upwards trend. Yes, it's, it's been increasing. Uh, we, we'd anticipated during COVID that we'd see a big
1: um, spike in um, claims. and we... Why was that, Jack? So we were thinking if people are going to be working more from home, um, people are going to be more reliant upon their computer systems, less face-to-face interaction. Like we was saying before, picking up the phone can offer cure a lot of these payment redirection frauds or a lot of other frauds generally. Um, if people are going to be working from home, not seeing each other day to day, you're going to establish new systems that are not going to rely on getting a partner or two partners to double sign off something before a, a payment gets made. If you're not seeing each other face to face, that now goes mm. to email, m- far greater risk of um, if a hacker getting in there going, okay, well, I've worked out that last time you transferred money, you needed to do this process. Seems like that was something that was done in person before. It's all done electronically now. I'll insert myself into that process. Um, and our our experience was that we didn't really see a huge spike at the start of the process. I think all in all, the profession has been very responsive to if we're moving on, moving online more often, we're going to have to lift um, our,
0: uh, change our processes mm-hmm. to make sure that we're adapting to that risk. And Could it also perhaps been um, that acute awareness? We are now going to remote areas. We do have to look at our virtual private networks. We have to maximise our thinking on security perhaps because of this extraordinary COVID interruption, um, that need to maintain more contact, perhaps be on the phone more regularly, yeah. um, may may be a better defence.
1: And definitely. And that's
0: something that I think
1: the the awareness has gone up and that made people respond better. The The early months of COVID, um, we, we weren't really seeing as steady a stream of notifications coming through and we thought, oh, this is fantastic. But uh, recently, from, from about July onwards, we have seen... Attack spiking again. It's almost like a redoubling of efforts from um, attackers, and maybe it's just people have been at home for longer. But some of those um, measures that we we saw were in place, um, and that that acuteness, and that awareness early in the process, seems to have dulled a little bit. And it's showing that it remains a threat. And mm-hmm. outside of the the legal profession and across the um, uh, across the economy more broadly, the Australian cybersecurity. Uh, Centre, which is run by the Signals Directorate, um, they they do a lot of great work in tracking the trends. They saw a consistent and significant spike in July, and their projections are that this trend line only goes further up. So we we thought mm. that that was going to kickstart earlier on. Um, it, it it
0: was muted, and now we are seeing that that trend line continue. And that's at um, cyber.gov.au, I believe that uh, website link. Yes. Uh I Which has some excellent resources um available on, on um also for notifying as well. And um uh they've got phishing examples um to do some tests through as well if if you want to um look at uh, your skill sets at identifying uh, suspicious emails as well. Um yeah, look it, that's a very interesting point that uh, on the increase in, in this financial year and um that is the same uh, under the uh, law cover professional indemnity insurance policy as well. So um, it's uh, on the rise again, and that need to, um, I guess, lift our games as well is is very important as well. With, um, you know, we see that business email compromise um, as the particular area, and that's the majority of claims that come under the the law cover professional indemnity insurance policy. But of course, we've got the other issues, as you mentioned, like ransomware, uh, can you describe some of the um, what happens to a law firm when they've had that horror experience?
1: Yes, definitely. So ransomware attacks are far less frequent than what we'll see with these BEC attacks, um, but they are consistently the more damaging to a practice um, overall. So the way that ransomware attacks work is whether it's through a link or somebody breaking into your system, malware gets into your system, it encrypts your files, and then you'll be displayed a... Um, a ransom note that basically says we've we've encrypted your files with an incredibly uh, complex encryption. The only way to get your files back is to purchase a decryption tool through us, basically balls in your court at that point. So that's that's normally the point when people will contact us at the 1-800-BREACH um, number.
0: That's 1-800-BREACH, yes. <laughs> Good <laughs> and to have by your side. <laughs> and,
1: and so those sort of attacks, um, whilst they can be severely damaging to a business. If you have all of your files locked for the last few months and you don't have access to backups, these are things that are going to impact your trust obligations, all your account information has gone, any whip you've had, any previous bills, it it becomes a nightmare for Mm. a practice regardless of its size. And and it, it also grinds your business to a halt. So much of what we do today as lawyers is based off a computer, particularly during covid if you can't use anything electronic for your business, you, you screech to a halt.
0: And that's quite an important thing to think about because we often hear those words and go, aha, but to drive that point home and think about like if you came into the office on a Monday morning mm-hmm. and you could not access your computers, how do you, one, respond? How do you feel? You can imagine the emotions mm-hmm. and the heart rate and the panic um, what do you do? And that's the thing to really plan for. And uh, rather than to say, look, oh, yes, we know, we, we know you're locked out, but what does that actually mean?
1: Yes. And, and it, Monday morning is when we would normally get a, a right. get calls from ransomware because it, the hackers will try to get into your system over the weekend. Um, sometimes and often a, a recent example we had was the virus got in at 2am on a Saturday. Uh, it had fully encrypted the network by 4.30am and people didn't notice it over the weekend, Didn't just a, a quiet weekend not checking your emails. Somebody came into the office on Monday, sat down, hit the space bar, nothing's working. Display on the screen, you have been encrypted, yeah. please see this. Yes. Like the, the dread that must run through you when you get a message like that and um, and so then they got in contact with us and the first step that we do... Yeah, that's,
0: that's so important. So they, they get in contact with the cyber risk response team at Colin Biggers yeah. and Paisley. That's the 1-800-BREACH number or the one 800 273 and it's really important to know that. And I think also to highlight when an incident may happen like that, our behavioural response can be one of shock, disbelief, can be anger, rage, and then to try and think log- logically as to what to do can be extremely difficult if we don't have that documented nearby as to what we do in our crisis contingency planning and ideally that number should be up front so you can speak to people like jack and have the conversation they can bring it back into bring it into more of a normal Business almost transaction
1: and and that's one of the the tips that we recommend to all practices in even though it's a very unlikely event that you're going to be hit by an attack like this having having a cyber response plan in place I'd, I'd certainly recommend that number one be Reaching out to the cyber response hotline, but there's other steps going. Well, who who do I have to start to notify? Well, I should be notifying my bank. I should notify the police. What am I going to do for um, my clients who may contact us? We're going to need to have responses in place. So having having these. Sorry to ret-
0: interrupt, but just yeah. on that notifying the bank, notifying police. Um, again, you're in a state of shock and panic. Um, with that, and maybe the phone system is part of the computer system, yeah. so. Those numbers, um, they need to be available somewhere. You may have them on your server. Yes. And that's not going to be very helpful. So that in a contingency plan, yeah. you need your a, plan B. A
1: very much a hard copy of that response. It can be
0: one page
1: of dot points. It could be three dot points, like contact the cyber response hotline, um, notify the bank, notify the police. We we can help with a tailored response. That's why we're here, We're to, to, to hear what's going on, analyse it, triage that process and say, okay, where do we go next? Um, but for a practice who may be shocked, not experiencing this, you, you kind of need to go, wh- where do we go next? And that that question can't be answered on a computer that's locked out. No, a uh, bit, bit of paper it. in a drawer is the, the easiest way forward there. Uh, but So what, what happens after you get in touch with us, the first thing that we'll look for is we'll reach out to your regular IT consultants, if you have them, and we need to check to see whether you have uh, clean, readable backups available. Mm -hmm. So that is, for a ransomware attack, the number one way to mitigate any risk to your practice is by having backups readily available.
0: Backups readily available, and I hear you said clean and readable. Yes. So are you suggesting that there are backups that sometimes are not clean and are unreadable?
1: Very much so. We, we have had a couple of cases where somebody has kept backups. They've said, well, we've got our backups. We've just got our IT people checking them now. We get them back and we find out that there was an error three months ago where something didn't back up correctly mm-hmm. and what it's meant is everything from that three-month period onwards has, has been useless because there hasn't been a check to make sure that these backups are clean and that they're readable. So even this person's gone and they, they express some... Frustration They're like, I do this process at the end of every day. I mm-hmm. hit back up. Mm-hmm. I take it home on the weekends. This is air-gapped. I've taken every precaution. But if you're not checking to make sure that these things are going through properly... Uh, that's a very unfortunate. Sort of uh, circumstance can arise. So, doing those sort of checks to make sure the backups are working very important. Just as important as having
0: backups. Absolutely. So, you've got that behavioral response where it's actually being activated. To yes, we're doing this. We're we're pressing the button. We are backing it up. We're backing it up on tapes. You know, I'm putting it away in my secure suitcase, whatever it is, and locking it away at home. However, they are contaminated and they haven't been tested. And so the backups are futile, even though the thinking is, of oh, I've got the confidence of everything's being backed up. So, yeah, that that's such important as part of that um, management process is to test backups.
1: Yeah, and, and making sure that they're, those backups are um, separate from your regular server because if uh, this malware gets into your system and starts encrypting, it will just make the jump. If, if there's no gap between the backups and your regular server, it will just make the jump and encrypt the backups as well. And we've seen those... That that happen as well, where somebody's like, "Well, I've got backups," and it's like, "They haven't been separated from your system, so when everything else went down, your
0: backups went down as well. Backups go down as well, so everything is. Um, so in that situation, with everything at a at a fail, yep. what what are the um, options? I, I assume they're limited.
1: Yes, they're, they they are limited. Uh, so the these encryptions are so complex. Basically, they they can't. Broken. The the idea of somebody sitting behind a keyboard clacking away with the matrix symbols filtering down, these these are very complicated computer algorithms that cannot be broken without a decryption key. Um, There are data uh, decryption specialists who have had some success, and and some of that success also comes through leveraging connections, be they through the dark web or with the white um, hat
0: hacker community. who okay? Will... Can I sorry, just because I know you work in this area all the time. Yes, apologies. Got, no, no, that's absolutely fine. But dark web and and white hacker community. Um, can we have just a brief summary of the dark web, this mysterious underworld, and also a white hacker?
1: Yes. So the basically the the dark web is of the, the, the shadow internet, it's the, the stuff that's below mm. the water and it's the more complicated and sophisticated actors, particularly the cybercriminals, operate there because it's more difficult to track. You don't have a cyber criminal working off a Hotmail account in an internet cafe. You have somebody who's got advanced computer knowledge and they access the internet through the dark web rather than through conventional means. And they can't be traced effectively. Very, very difficult to yeah. trace them. Okay. Um, and so... Often on the dark web, that's where people will buy and sell these um, decryption tools. Um, and so if there's a marketplace out there where you can buy and sell um, encryption tools, then there's a market where you can buy and sell decryption tools <laughs> as well. So uh, we, we have relationships with IT consultants and these data um, decryption specialists who have those relationships into that world as well and they reach out to try and see here is the type of variant that was used to attack this practice is has somebody bought a key recently then out of the goodness of their heart said if anyone's ever going to be hit by this form of ransomware again, I've posted the key for free online. And we've had that happen to us before. And they're called?
0: White hat hackers. White hat hackers, yep okay so these are the new this is the new world where you've got the dark web um, and a, a new marketplace basically with yeah. uh, decryption encryption keys being bought sold etc yes, it's uh, with criminals and then you've got the um, the better ethical people but having to negotiate with them to try and um, yeah. see to resolve it and hopefully we don't get to that stage however when you are fully locked out of your system uh, your backups are corrupted this is the next stage that is where these discussions... And, and that's
1: that's why um, the policy provides cover for these cyber extortion monies because it, it recognises that for, for all the um, good attempts you may have made as a practice to secure your system and to make sure you have backups, if you get into a scenario where you are completely encrypted, sorry, completely, completely encrypted, uh, your, your practice is ceased business at the moment but it, unless you get these files decrypted, it may cease... Business forever, yes. and that's the seriousness of um, and and the seriousness it should be treated in. So that's why that covers there. So you can either liaise with data decryption specialists and through the IT consultants to exhaust every avenue. But if we can't find a way to get those files back, if there's every avenue is exhausted, there is the option available under the policy with the underwriter's consent to pay uh, a ransom and. We have i t consultants that help guide through that process the there's things that we can do to check to see and whilst it sounds silly to say that the the attacker is a genuine hacker that, right. they, that they can yep. do it so exchanging sample files help us to
0: show that you can actually decrypt the system Nothing. so you're testing basically the hacker's capabilities yes. of decrypting uh, without perhaps paying the full ransom first up is there a is there a small fee or so well, this is the hackers' business
1: model. Yeah. They, they basically know that they're not going to get any money out of you if you can't show that if they can't show you that they have the capacity to actually unlock your files. So they, they, some of them, are actually quite professional. We actually had one case where we were liaising with people. We exchanged sample files. We said, "Well, there's actually an error with this," and they said, "Very sorry. Please send through a further tranche of files, which we will do." Apologies for the delay. Like it, was, it was a very cordial relationship. Like you're basically standing with a gun to the back of our heads That's but right. being very polite about it yes. because if, if they can't establish and give a bit of confidence that these files will actually be returned, there's no chance somebody's going to pay a ransom.
0: Yes, yes, fascinating. Okay that's um it's extraordinary isn't it and um but this is this is what happens And ideally best case scenario is we avoid all of this um but if we are down this dark route then uh, we're also then reliant on capable hackers so you may have the incompetent or fly by nighter i guess um the amateur and uh who can't decrypt that law firm's servers and therefore there's significant um, costs associated, no doubt, with time delays and then a rebuild of those servers. Um, that, that, And as you mentioned, it could be potentially uh, crippling to that business. Exactly. And that's what in,
1: in ransomware attacks, that's what we see. There's the initial um, interruption and triaging the incident, making sure that we get that information back. But once you get those files decrypted, you still have to clean your computer system, you still have to rebuild all that information there's a lot of effort that goes in afterwards, uh, and then it's kind of turning to well, I might have been down and not operating. I haven't been able to bill for three weeks. Mm-hmm. The policy also provides cover for loss of business income during that period. So, um, and this this is why we consider ransomware remains a greater threat to practices in terms of their bottom line because with the the email systems, it's 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 a worry, and you can get in there. There may be liabilities against. The, the practice, but for the practice itself, it, it can continue with a ransomware attack. If it's not solved, you can't continue and you might be out of business for a few weeks until you've resolved it as well. So that's why we see a higher dollar value on ransomware claims but more right. frequency in business email compromise attacks.
0: Okay, yes. And just um, to highlight too that, that ransom payment, that is recorded, isn't it, at, um, at the, with the federal government website if there is a payment being made to so these criminals? We,
1: what one of the things that we walk, anyone who reports something through to us, be it a um, BEC attack, be it a ransomware attack, is we ask everybody to report that to the police and to the Australian Cyber Security Centre um, via cyber.gov.au. Yeah. Um, we always want that report to be there, um, and it's also something as in as the insurers, we don't want to be. Yeah. Nobody wants to be making payments to a criminal, which is effectively what can happen, what is happening with if a ransom is paid. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also an element of you, you have to protect your network so we make sure that that report is made to the police, make sure that they're aware and looped in right from the start of the right. process.
0: Right, excellent. Well, in recapping, if we're looking at, say, some of the... Uh tips, takeouts, the risk management processes to put in place. And if we highlight that the business email compromise is, as you've mentioned, and we, uh, that's our experience under the law cover, professional indemnity insurance policy is the highest area of incidence. Um, some of the recommendations that you would look at to help solicitors and support staff um, in in their own practices in implementing, what would you recommend? So the I've got a couple of Top tips here that we have so the the first one
1: is given uh, acknowledging that the the greatest risk is the uh, BEC yeah. attacks to a practice is and the most significant risk to a practice in that sense is the payment redirection fraud mm-hmm. making sure people confirm account details over the phone before uh, processing funds transfers that is the, the bedrock and foundation of stopping these attacks yes. and mitigating risk. If, if you do that, if for nothing else from this uh, podcast you take away that point, it would make me a very happy man because almost all of these frauds can be stopped if you just pick up the phone to confirm the details before processing that transfer.
0: And call that number from the file, not from that yep. email. Not,
1: not from the email. No. You, you will have had... Um, uh, I'm sure you would have taken a, a file note at some point of your first conversation or initially when you brought them on as a client or as a third party. Just make sure that yeah. you're calling a genuine, email, uh, genuine number that you already had um, and confirm those details. And a lot of people are now incorporating that into their day-to-day practice. You need that to check before yeah. it'll go off and you need to show that to your accounts team before they'll process the transfer. Good. Uh, the next step is ensuring multi-factor authentication is in place. Mm-hmm. That's another one that greatly reduces the risk. Um if somebody needs to have their hand in your pocket to pull your mobile out to get the verification code, it's going to be a lot harder to get into your system in the first place before they even get to the stage of trying to leverage a fraud. So um, making sure multi-factor authentication is in place is a big one. And then regularly ensuring software updates um, and patching yes. happens. Um, hackers are sophisticated. They evolve. They get in the same way they've improved their social engineering techniques Um once they get into your system, they've improved the ways in which they get into your system in the first place. And a lot of great work's being done by IT consultants, antivirus, software providers, Microsoft um, themselves through Outlook have been constantly improving these systems. But if you're not updating and patching, you're not catching up with where the system is at now. So, And that's why it's important to keep that relationship with your IT consultant and making sure that they're maybe not necessarily conducting a stress test, but making sure that everything's up to date. And then, like we were mentioning before, formulating a cyber incident response plan is a big one, making sure it's in hard copy, that just runs through some of the simple steps like notifying um, the cyber response hotline, uh, like notifying the people in your practice. Um, you'll know who they are, the ones who need to know when this incident happens. Um, and then we we can assist with um, formulating a response after it's made known to us, but often people will... Um, naturally panic when these sort of things yes. happen, don't know where to go. If we get a call three days into this process and you're still um, trying to work out where you go, how you respond to this, funds may have cleared from accounts, you might have missed a window to liaise with hackers. Similarly, if you uh, hit by a ransomware attack and you pay um, pay a ransom without verifying that they're a serious or credible hacker, you could have just flushed 20 grand down the drain in cryptocurrency, Yes, never Get, not have any prospects of getting your files back. So staying calm, having that
0: plan, implementing the plan is the best way to go forward. Fabulous. So I'm just going to recap that in a few words in those takeouts, and thank you for those, Jack, is the phone and to have the actual phone number, um, the authentic phone number. Don't rely ever on that one in the email. Multi-factor authentication, software updates, patching, the cyber incident response plan must be in place. Have that 1-800 breach, the 1-800-273-224 number by the side. Also look at um, updating in education. The Law Cover website has um, a lot of resources. Uh, we have an e-learning platform with a free cyber risk uh, session on it. Uh, there are newsletters, resources centres um, that you can utilise as well. And uh, we have the odd alert that comes out, unfortunately, to the profession, highlighting that these email scams are continuing and claims are rising. Jack, thank you so much for your time. That It's fascinating, it's intriguing, it's alarming, it's all of those things. And I hope we've all learned a little bit more today about these risks and the realities and I really appreciate your time. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Risk On Air by LawCover. Join us for the next episode and subscribe to stay up to date.